All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the JFGI podcast. This is episode three. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Uh, thanks a lot for sticking with us if you're still listening. I know last week was a little uh, little messy um, getting in and out of it, but you know we're getting it done. We're getting it done. Uh, it's a little learning curve. Uh, it's not as easy as it seems to do this stuff. Uh, you got to do a little bit of research, practice a little bit, but it's fun, so uh, we're going to keep going on. Uh, so last time we hit a little bit of music with, uh, with DJ Dave Krieger today, we're going to hit sports. My guest is one of my very good buds from Beantown, a human sports almanac, uh, in my eyes. It's Timbo <laughs> Slice, shoot a Lambert. Timbo, what's happening? Yeah, what's up kid? What's up kid? You hung over from 420 yesterday, bud? Still going. Still, still going? Still going. Right now? Mm-hmm. Nice. Tim, like myself, works in the TV industry. Uh, he's on the production side. Working his way up, he's done a hell of a job uh, doing so. Timmy, tell us about yourself. Uh, not much to tell. Uh, moved out here in 2009. I'm from Boston, Los Angeles. I've uh, been working in freelance television uh, ever since. Uh, you know, freelance production is what it is. You know, you, you're the glue of all the departments that work on reality, set the reality side of television. You know, it's been fun. Well, I've been out of work uh, last month and a half, which has been, uh, you know very trying to say the least you know yeah. you, you try to keep yourself busy yeah ditto. you know i've been yeah. down two weeks you know how it goes you know the first week's great yeah i just put a job away got some cash in the bank second <laughs> week you know you know you're just trying not to drink as much you realize that you don't have to wake up every day mm-hmm. you know and 10 o'clock in the morning turns to 11 o'clock 12 o'clock and then you know, before you know it you're a full-blown alcoholic so you try to avoid that <laughs> you try to steer clear of that but you know it's just uh it's just it's about finding the people that you work with that you're comfortable with above you your managers your producers who want to bring you on um show after show and sometimes you hit these gaps and if you want to keep going you you stay with it yeah it's a grind for sure uh we all know too well that's why i started a podcast uh just keep myself going doing something you know what i mean yeah so today i wanted to start with uh i wanted to start with a different story that we'll get to here in a minute but unfortunately today we had uh, some tragic news in the music world um prince passed away this morning yeah uh, at his home in, in and his studio, his home studio in Minnesota, uh, he was fifty-seven, um, and f- five foot two. Twenty sixteen, man. It's been the uh, it's been a pretty fucked up year for deaths, and uh, especially on the music front with Bowie going first. You know, yeah. Um, there's been some pretty you know other noticeable deaths this year. And it's only April. Uh, it was Gary Shandling as well, and uh, you know, who else died? Some big names uh, I don't out know there. if it was 2016, but that guy from the Eagles just died. That was like right before the Grammys, yeah. I think. Yeah. Glenn something. There's been some pretty na- uh, some pretty big names. Pretty pretty fucked up. I'm not appreciating the uh, the amount of death. Well, it's just it's crazy that we're losing these um, these iconic pop stars. You know, I know this is a while ago, but Michael Jackson is gone now. David Bowie is gone. Uh, Prince is gone now, and it's it's all before their time. Oh, it's yeah. not like they they're doing anything wrong. No, of course not. No, and that's you know that's what they're dealing with now. Some an icon dies like it, they die today, right? Prince, you know, passes away. Yeah. And you know, for the first two hours, it's on Reddit, it's on TMZ, it's everywhere that you know he's dead, and everybody has their like you know these little runoff jokes to make the times a little bit easier, kind of appreciate the guy for what he was, what he did, and then it becomes a speculation of why he's dead, how he died. He's fifty-seven. Right. He well, was sick last week on a plane. He's got the flu. Yeah. He's got no. Yeah. He's got the flu, and then you know it escalates, and people just you know this is why I hate about this shit. You know, 
Um, I'm sure over the next week or two, two weeks, there'll be, you know, awesome in memoriams, whether it's, you know, YouTube collection videos or oh, for sure. brought up old old footage of when he used to play. And But now it's just about how he died and, you know. Lady Gaga will be dressing up as Prince, yeah. putting out videos. Yeah, I know. It's just going to be, you know, every every awards, every award ceremony, anything that has to do with pop music is going to be Prince-focused, which is awesome because I love Prince. So, or, you know, I, I loved his music. And it's not like I know every song Prince sang. I just know he was an icon. Same way you know Bowie. Same way you know Queen. Same way you know you know all these super dupe like ridiculous pop stars. You know. I don't think there's a song from Prince that that I don't like. That I that I didn't. That you don't get happy when it comes on. Um, I get Purple Rain. I'm not sh- so sure. I like fully appreciate that song. I know that it's it's a classic. But when it comes on, you know, whatever. But the rest of his songs are just uh, fantastic. Uh, Purple Rain is my favorite Prince song. Is only, it? Only because Why? Have you, have you seen the movie Purple Rain? No. By chance? No. With, uh, <laughs> they the time in it too as well? No. No, you haven't seen Purple Rain. Okay, uh, yeah, if you haven't seen Purple Rain, uh, you have to go see it first and foremost. It used to run on H- MTV and VH1 reruns at like 1 o'clock in the morning when I was in college and shit like that. And we used to blast it because it was amazing. It's the most horribly acted movie. Prince stars as himself. And it's basically like this fucked up biopic of him, like with his abusive father, and you know his his his, his like you know finding sacrilege in music and shit like that. Oh God! And it's very emotional towards the end because he he goes off and does a nine minute version of Purple Rain. Even there, I don't think there's anything shorter than a nine minute version of Purple Rain. But um, what year was it? Oh, 1984. That's when I was born. Yeah, it, yeah. I should check that out. You really fucking should. It's it's it holds up. It holds up. I think I watched it about a year ago in a hotel room, and I did cry. And you know the soundtrack's amazing. It's just, it's just, uh, it's something you won't forget, and probably something you won't remember either. If that makes any sense. But uh, yeah, for sure. But uh, Purple Rain, you know, not to mention he was probably one of the best guitarists, you know, ever worked this fucking planet. There's a, there's a great quote by Clapton that says, uh, "Someone asked Clapton, what's it feel like to be the greatest guitar player on earth?" And he goes. I'm paraphrasing, of course. I don't know. You have to ask Prince. <laughs> wow, that's coming from Clapton. That's coming from Clapton, and wow. he does shred. And I mean, there's there's great videos online now too. You don't have to look too hard. Just go on Reddit right now. Look at the top four posts on Reddit. And you'll see it. Um, all about Prince. All his great YouTube videos. There's one from the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2004 that will blow your tits off. It's fucking amazing. He shreds for like three minutes right in front of Tom Freddy's like face. It's great. Uh, I'd recommend it. Um, I mean, you're going to go down, you're going to wonder what Prince was all about, if you're not familiar with him. He was a uh, musician first, artist second, and he was unparalleled. It was a big loss for pop, music, you know, fucking humanity. Yeah, for sure. He was a showman at best. You want to hear something spooky? Today I was driving back from the west side, and uh, I, I turned it on 95.5, and they're playing uh, Lenny Kravitz song. I'm like, okay, cool. This, I've never heard this Kravitz song. Right, that's uh, Prince Light. Lenny Kravitz. It, yeah, exactly. And I was like, it, I was like, literally, I was like, this could be Prince or this could be Lenny Kravitz. So um, I keep listening, and the song ends, and it's Jonesy's ju- jukebox. Do you know that show, that DJ Jonesy? No, go on. So he's got he's got Lenny Kravitz with him, and they're talking about Prince and uh, and ghosts and like you know how it's so terrible that that Prince is gone now. And so then they play this. They play Prince um, singing with Radiohead at Coachella in 2008. Oh. Creep. He's singing Creep with Radiohead. And they start playing that song. Ha- so they do. The, it goes the verse and then the chorus and the second verse. And Prince, like, the first verse is pretty rough. He doesn't yeah. sound great. Uh, the second verse, they put some effect on his mic and he, he sounds better. Halfway through the second verse, the song just stops. And there's like five to ten seconds of silence on the radio. And then Joe Jonesy comes on. He's like, 
And, or no, and then you hear Lenny Kravitz go, whoa, it's just one of those days, man. And, <laughs> and Jonesy's like, what? Like they were spooked out a little bit. It just cut off. Really? They just went, it cut off, and then you hear like an engineer, they're like, oh, we're going to play that again. Don't worry. Because like they didn't know what the fuck happened. Right. They're like, this this usually, this, this rarely, rarely happens to us. Wow. So they went to break, and they played the whole thing again. But it was, uh, it was a little spooky, man. With the 08 Coachella. The same, the same fucking track from the beginning, and then it, it played all the way through. That's funny, too, because he is kind of... Uh He's a different breed of human being, or he was at least. And I'm, I'm not claiming I like know uh, how he lived his life and shit like that. I know he's very secluded, very silly. Solitude was uh, something he, you know, he treasured. But he was kind of a creep, man. He was kind of a weird dude. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You, you, you get sure. it from the uh, Charlie Murphy Real Hollywood Stories and the Chappelle oh, Show God, back in the those day. Those are so good. Yeah, I mean that's what everybody's quoting today. But I mean, yeah, he was just a strange dude. Knew what he loved. And uh, one more story I heard about too. I was reading today that he got offered, uh, I guess probably in was it uh, mid '90s. To perform at a bar mitzvah uh, for ten million dollars for thirty minutes of ten million dollars to perform for thirty minutes, uh, I guess he had some a rich Jewish fa- Jewish family probably did it. Probably yeah no that they offered to Prince for some reason and it was probably their daughter who had like a crazy obsession with pr- uh, Prince who can blame her I mean at that age yeah but to Prince's credit I heard this from his publicist today on I don't know Wolf Blitzer or some bullshit on CNN yeah and he was like uh, you know I'm not gonna do it he goes Prince it's ten million dollars to thirty minutes do the math it's like like, it doesn't matter. Five hundred thousand dollars a fucking minute. Less than it half a day. Doesn't matter. He goes, like, why don't you want to do it? He goes, well, it's not cool. It's not cool. I'm like, well, man, ten million dollars for fucking thirty minutes sounds really fucking cool to me. But I guess he's not the kind of guy he was, and that goes to speak against the artist. You know, he wasn't. I hope that's the way he's remembered. Is that it was a uh, you know music first, and the fans and the showmanship. And I mean, you don't become an icon, uh, you know, because you love money. You become an icon because you, you know, a forerunner of whatever fucking trade. You know, your mastering for him right. it was gu- guitar, and it was uh, you know, the music he put out it was one of a kind. Well, I think he will be remembered for that. Um, and unfortunately, we also had a bit of bad news this morning. Um, at least I did for me. Uh, Love Line is going to be ending next week, man. They uh, on April twenty eighth will be the last radio broadcast of Love Line, and that's super fucking sad to me because I listened to I've been listening to that show since high school. You know, you you get done with puberty, and then. <coughs> you go through high school and you're going through all that bullshit and then you just you hear all these stories on the on the radio about oh, sex with my girlfriend and my dick and the, her pussy and shit <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and you you get to hear these other stories and you kind of help you you learn you know you're learning and uh, and I've been loyal to love not love line since then I've been I've called in several times to ask true and the guys questions uh, Mike Catherwood Psycho Mike was um, the co-host for the, like the past three years. Yeah. Um, his last episode was earlier this month, and that was super sad. And th- that was like two weeks ago. Um, and I know Emily Morris, who's always on Thursday night, she's been helping out as a co-host um, and some other people. But um, this just like dropped this morning. Just Dr. Drew just dropped the bomb on Kevin and Bean. Yep, next week's the last show. It's Crazy. Fucking, it, that that show. So a little bit of history about that show is that it began in 1983. Uh, it was a Sunday night only show on K Rock, um, and it was hosted by three other guys. Is this syndicated? Is it nationally syndicated or was it just Los Angeles? It is now. I don't know back then. Is it on like radio, uh, yeah, hard it, radio or some shit? It used to be in, in um it's on the well in St. Louis where I'm from. It was in it was on the alternative radio station. All right. I don't think it's in I don't think it's syndicated anywhere in St. Louis now, but it's definitely syndicated across the country. Um but if you're not local to K Rock, you get last night's episode. So you can't call in and listen to yourself live. If you want to call in and you're in like in the central time zone. You got to call in at midnight because they're live at ten. Ah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, started in 1983 with three other DJs, and then it says after a traumatic breakup, this guy announced that he would no longer be doing the show. Um, 
And then in 1984, they added a segment called Ask a Surgeon. And it was they. It was hosted by his friend Dr. Drew Pinsky, who at the time Dr. Drew, was a fourth year oh, medical student Dr. Drew. at the University of Southern California. He was a med student when he started doing that show, and he's been doing it ever since. I'm honestly, I'm surprised that it's lasted this long. This is Dr. Drew from Celebrity Rehab on MTV back in the day, right? Celebrity uh, yeah. Rehab. They had like all like reality stars that just checked in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and some, and I know, I know, recovering addicts that are fucking pissed at Drew for doing, for like capitalizing on the the market. I, I know. talked to one the other day actually. He hates Doctor Drew because of it. Dude, he's 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 fucking funny, and obviously, you know, he's very intelligent and shit like that. But I just can't put my finger on why I just don't. I just mm, something about him. Just about stop Drew? Him. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, man. Like, listen, you know, obviously, this show meant a lot more to you than it meant to me. Meant to me. I mean, personally, it was you know, those late nights when you get out of work and you're driving home across the fucking Los Angeles, and somehow there's still fucking traffic everywhere. And you got now to kill, so you just you just wait, and then all of a sudden you put it on whatever the fuck it was. It was on K Rock. Yeah, it's on K Rock. And then you're getting all these stories about you know you get a 15 year old calling about her boyfriend who you know she thinks she's pregnant. How do I tell my boyfriend that I think I'm pregnant? And then you know the next segment is like a 27 year old going like, well I like to jerk off into fucking bread and eat it as sandwiches. You know that, that was the kind of yeah, fucking show. weird shit. It was yeah. a weird shit on that show. But there was nothing Dr. Drew didn't know. It's true. That's why I loved it because he knows everything. Nothing shocked him, and he always added humor to it too. He's like, "All right, right well, you like jizz sandwiches? Well, okay, well that well, means that you have my, a, you know that's why he always had a co-host." Yeah, it's like I guess there's some sort of there's always some sort of disease that you have that you're fixated with fucking semen on you know you know fucking carbohydrates makes your brain work them some way. I don't give a fuck. He always knew. He always knew. He always knew. He and he always knew what answer. The he he would always ask like the first question he would ask them after they would tell them their problem would hit home. It would hit home and be like, well, what's your relationship with your dad? Or like, what happened to you when you were three? And they, they were all, they'd start crying. Oh, my God, I got raped by my uncle. Like, they, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Anyway, love line. Whoa, Jesus. Almost, almost knocked down my microphone. Uh, thank you very much, Dr. Drew, for sticking out so long. I know that you're, he's one of the busiest guys in show business. I don't care what Ryan Seacrest is doing. What he's, is he doing now? Well, I'm on love line. What is he? Does he have, does he have, he's he has a, a show? show on HLN. That's in the CNN building. Yeah. Uh. It's, um, I forget what it's called. It's something with, something with Drew. Fucking um, Drew. But thank you again, Drew. All right, so this is the real story I wanted to uh, start with today. Before we get into sports, I know I've teased sports a couple times now. We'll get there in a minute. Because, um, Timmy, I know you're a space buff. I know you like the space stuff. Have you seen this article about Stephen Hawking and this Russian billionaire putting together this program to launch uh, a nano uh, a nano space module that's the Ooh, size uh, of, a, of a postal stamp Ooh, uh. to go look for other like other life on other planets? I can't imagine that, you know, that that would, you can, I'm not going to see the results of this shit. I mean, I'm sure they won't be able to send this shit out until I'm like fucking 70. I'm 20, almost 30 now. Right. By the time I'm, that's when, they, when they, it's going to take hundreds of years for that information to get back to us. But here, I'll show it to you. Um, here, let me read this first. Astronomers believe an Earth-like planet could exist within the habitable zones of Alpha Centauri, the closest star system to Earth, located 25 trillion miles 4.37 light years away. Each nanocraft, which is a st- it's literally the size of a postal stamp, I'll bring it up in a second, is designed to fly at 20% the speed of light on a sail pushed by a light beam, making it over a thousand times oh, faster wait, wait, than wait, wait, wait. today's space's fa- uh, fastest spacecraft. A fucking light beam? Like, wh- wh- how do you, what? A stamp light? I don't understand. It doesn't Here, make I'll any sense. I'll show s- you. All right. Yeah, it's, it's really small. Um, it says it's going to have all this shit on it, it's like cameras and, and power and, hold on, where is it? Oh, it's right here. All right, so there they are. There's Steven on the right, obviously, and this Russian guy on the li- this Russian billionaire. Also, by the way, Mark Zuckerberg's in on this. Look at this thing. Look at this thing. They're going to cut to it. 
that is going to be traveling in space. At it's 20% the speed of light? It's, literally, it's the size of an SD card that you put in your camera. All right, so now Steven is, they're going to ask Steven something. Listen, they're going to ask him a question, and he just responds. Like, what? How does he do that? You sure it's not like a, tr- a clever cut? It could be. It could be, but yeah, I guess it could be a clever cut. Well, either even so, the fact that his his uh, sentences, you know, never mind the vocabulary he's using and, and the competence of each you know each thought that it's just it's fluid as it is. It's amazing technology. It's like the little movement that he can do allows him to talk, which is yeah. crazy. And he can get equations out of it too, just because you know we associate words with whatever uh, symbols go into each equation. Right. That's pretty cool. <coughs> Stephen Hawking, good job, guys. All right, let's get into sports here. What do you say? So last week was um, was Kobe's final game uh, ever, and it was the same night that the Warriors uh, got the best record ever in, M- in the NBA. They beat the 95-96 Bulls 72-10 record uh, by one game, going 73-9, and which is just crazy to me with 82 games how you can only lose nine. Not to mention that they would—they had 50 games at home. They haven't lost. They lost to the uh, Celtics at the uh, last uh, okay, two weeks of the right. season. All right, Boston. Well, no, it wasn't. Yeah, um, the, uh, the first game they played with the Celtics this season, uh, 2016 season, they played in Boston. They went to uh, double overtime, and uh, yeah, it's probably arguably probably the closest game they had all year um, that wasn't a loss that they ended up winning. Um, and then they, uh, yeah, they they lost the Celtics, and I believe that was the last loss of the season for them. And uh, seven three, seven three now. I don't. I mean, you look at the West. You look at the. Uh, you know, you look at the West and the, and the division they play in. The season they had last year. Well, they're in the better. They're in the better conference. So it's like that's that's as good as it gets. Uh, yeah. If you did that in the East, it's not as big of a deal. It's still great. They're uh, they're, they're obviously the the deepest teams and one of the four teams in this year's playoffs that are, you know are going to be constantly talked about alongside with the the Thunder, the Spurs, and the Cavaliers. Um. Yeah, it's just you know you get that you get that uh, you get that win. Usually, you know, it, or it has been the last four or five years in the NBA. It seems that uh, been uh, you know served with veterans who have been looking for that first title, or you know, chasing uh, with obviously with the the Spurs aside, teams that kind of uh, built for that championship run. It's it's uh, impressive to see such a young team, uh, one be so deep and two be so consistent after they you know have already won the championship. Um, I don't know if you remember last year, the Steph Curry wasn't the MVP; it was Andrea Iguodala of the, uh, the finals. I do remember that. And yeah, the, he's been off before, but never. I mean, this season he has. He's had, you know, close to nine games that he was not. You know, the Steph Curry freak lights out. Um, you know, sure that he is. But I saw one of those games too. It was weird. He he went like two for twelve at behind. You know, the three point. Man, line. I just I can't I can't imagine what it was. It, it can't be like he's off. I mean, sometimes. He shoots, he's fucking shooting like sixty percent behind the arc. That's ridiculous. Yeah. You know, you can't you can't hold up that consistency, you know, over a season or so I thought. But I mean there's you know, a thousand other things that could have been, that's why he lost, you know. But he's out now. He has been out for the last two games for the Warriors this this run. Actually I'm watching on my phone right now the score. At this time on four twenty one, uh the Rockets are up in the third. Uh, with Steph Curry on the bench. Oh, it looks like they just tied up. Never I'm going to kill myself if the Rockets beat the Warriors. There's, well, I mean, you can kill yourself all you want. If they lose a game uh, it, it I mean the series, like not not just a the game. They won't lose the series unless Steph's more injured than he thought, and it is an ankle injury, which can be nagging. In there. And then, as far as I read, it's just a low ankle sprain. So, did you watch any of Kobe's last game? 
I watched all of it. I watched all you of did, it. So did I. I watched all of it uh, after the fact. I had DVR'd it because I was watching. Uh, what was I watching? I think I was watching an episode of One Tree Hill with my girlfriend. That's uh. I'm, we'll edit that out. Don't worry. No, you don't have to. That's that's the truth. I don't know if you've ever. Well, we'll get into another time. I remember it. it was, that competed with like Dawson's Creek back in '98. Right? There was no competition really. Chad Michael Murray's yeah, Dreamboat. Da- Dawson's Creek created that genre of TV shows. Bro. It did. It, it's it's strictly young that adult. Young adult. Uh, you know. Issues. Fucking, you know, Play Doh drama, whatever you want to call it. But uh, I love it. Well, you know, and you know me. I love all right, I love all that shit. <laughs> you know what? Yeah. It Anyways. Con- it concerns me. Uh, uh, where was I going with that? Anyway, so I, I DVR'd Kobe's last game. Yeah. And I had expected to go as I had gone all season, um, you know, taking his shots whenever he wants and, you know, playing limited minutes. But they fucking it just took him off the reins and 50 shots, you know, he shot 50 times. I know. He shot 22 out of 50. I believe that was a stat line for it. And, you know, it was 60 points in the last minute. And I couldn't tell. You know, of course, they gave him the ball at every chance that they could, and he scored 60 points. But the way he was celebrating, I couldn't tell if he thought, like, yeah, I still got it, or if he was, like, like that's how he was acting, but it was more like, dude, you don't still have it. You don't know. He, I don't. I think he knows he didn't have. I it. He hasn't he had it the last too, couple of years. I just he looked really happy that he was having a good game. Yeah, no, <laughs> what? That was not a good game, by the way. He shoot fifty ball. But he, he got shoot, he's sixty points, and 50. they they ended up winning that game that they were behind. Yeah, it was a Timberwolves they were playing or something like that. Uh, I don't even remember. Didn't matter. Regardless, it wasn't a good game from Kobe. It was his last game, and what you saw in his face was the jubilation of, oh my god, I have to can't believe I fucking survived twenty years in the NBA and made the most money. Yeah. Of any player this year on top of that i'm sure he was happy with the fact that it was coming to uh to an end on his terms and the farewell fucking kobe tour like the farewell judah tour and the farewell right. david ortiz fucking thing coming to an end and he was at peace with it i guess because you know he's a fucking sicko he's a deviant when it comes to you know competition much like jordan was um i think you know if you're you're finally okay with letting the game go i mean i guess it's a gradual process throughout the season knowing it's your last season uh, I can imagine that sense of relief, on top of actually, you know, you know, cobing all over people's faces, uh, leads to a very, uh, you know, exciting uh, sixty minutes of basketball, forty-eight minutes, excuse me. Right. So yeah, no, it was impressive. I mean, I'm just happy that uh, that he was able to make it to that last game without getting hurt. That that dude could easily could have gotten hurt and just missed the rest of the season, and then. Well, I don't know if you followed the Lakers all season. I mean, I I live in Los Angeles, and that's all I talk about in seven ten. No matter how bad they're doing, I got fed up with the Clippers, and I, I gave up basketball this season. Yeah, uh, not a bad choice uh, this season in particular, but uh, no, it's just you know Byron Scott, uh, ex Laker coach for the last two years, has been uh, you know. They dropped Kobe's minutes, and they got all these young kids. Um, Jordan Clarkson, uh, the kid they picked up like, last year, the power four that was injured. Um, Nick Young. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I could be. Um, and, the, and the kid Russell that they picked up this year, the kid that was uh, using the cell phone. That D'Angelo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, he was fucking with their minutes. They wasn't giving the kids enough minutes. They was letting Kobe play where he wanted to play. But whatever reason, the lineup was the, you know, the biggest argument I heard out of Lakers fans, you know, uh, were that the kids weren't getting enough time, you know. Eventually that came, and, uh, you know, they cooperated with Kobe as best they could. But I think now, because um, I remember Jim Buss saying that he was going to leave the team if they couldn't get anything going. It was three years ago he made that promise, 2016, 2017 season. He was going to step away, or Jeannie was going to let him go. Uh, Jeannie Buss, the president of operations. Got it. So um, that said, I think with Kobe's contract out the door, uh, which is like twenty six million, you know. Yeah. Um, does it make it a 
favorable place for free agents this year. I think Kevin Durant's the biggest name that's out there right now as a free agent. Uh, no, it doesn't because why would Kevin Durant leave Oklahoma? I'm sorry, go ahead. No, that's that's a good point. Why would he leave Oklahoma yeah, City? No, because no, finish your thought. He uh, no, 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 go back to the Cody. yeah yeah no. I'm saying is that um, you know cap space is there. The team is rebuilding. Yeah, there's there's good talent, young talent, and uh, you know obviously this year they have a potential for uh, the Ben Simmons lottery or you know one of the top three picks in the draft uh, given their horrendous record this season. Um, yeah, they're, I think they're on the cusp. I think they're three or four years out from where a team like I don't know, I don't, only because it's comparable to where the Boston Celtics are because they they've stockpiled draft picks over the last four years with that trade with Brooklyn with Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. Right. They got the 2017, 2018, 2016, 2017 first round unprotected draft pick. So Brooklyn shit the bed this year too. So Celtics got a chance for a top five pick, which can you know in the lottery can mean the number one pick overall. So I mean, it's, they're they got to get that, to that structure. They got to start bringing young talent and start acquiring the pieces to build a team that's going to be competitive. It's uh, going to keep the Laker fan base happy and stop this fucking revolving door of coaches and what's going to be GMs after Jim Buss gets laid off, and kind of find a little consistency in the op- in the front office side and see how that translates with their draft picks and the way these kids are developing. So here's a question for you. Now that Kobe's gone, is this better? Is this a better environment, a better climate for the Lakers to start rebuilding? Uh, financially, yeah, obviously, I think it has got. That's a, you know a quarter of their salary uh, went to Kobe this past year. And not to say, you know, I never, I never faulted Kobe for taking as much money as he did because he fucking earned it. I mean, that's five titles for the team over you know x amount of years, and he did it with and without uh, Shaq. He did it with uh, you know a team that you know with Powell, a team that you know. Did, at, at, on paper, didn't look like they were going to make it through that Western Conference, especially when, when Duncan was in his prime, Parker and Ginobili too. That team was fucking gross. Um, the team does get team looks better financially. Yeah, they're gonna have they're gonna have plenty of spaces to make moves. It's just it's got to be the smart moves. It can't be these fucking you know these second tier, third tier small forwards like Chandler Parsons, you Kyle Lowry's like these these flashy names that you know 3 4 years ago were top top marquee guys for like the Raptors and you know all the all these teams that you know were also rebuilding but had some pretty good potential small uh you know front court stars you need to find uh you keep drafting the way they're drafting cuz I think they're drafting really well and I think Jordan Clarkson is going to be you know a star I think Kobe Gunn they got with money to play with I think Jim Buss needs to go I think the culture needs to change it's not fucking showtime it's not magic it's fucking uh, you know, Lakers. It's it's a team that's you know hurting for a long time now. For sure, Kobe's gone. That era is done. It's time yeah. to make it a you know a, a money conscious, ground up, young, uh, athletic, exciting team. And it's a new era of Celtics. I mean, Lakers basketball. Um, you know, I think the era of the big three and, and these huge free agent signings, having three superstars to get yourself to the finals. I think that's starting to die down in a sense that, you know, just because you have superstar, you can't throw superstars at the problem. I mean, you can get to the conference finals with superstars. Can you win? No, you need a deep fucking team. You need you need the Golden State Warriors. You need Clay Thompson to step up. You need Andre Iguodala. You need Draymond Green to step up when Steph Curry rolls his ankle. He's out for two games. Probably going to take him two games to get back on the game speed. You know what I mean? That's how you win championships. Well, I think you know, I don't know. I think I think Steph Curry is one of those guys that can bounce back after being off for a week. You know, he can he can bounce back pretty quick. He's never going to stop singing those threes. It, it might take you know he might not get as many minutes because he can't run as much. But in terms of the shooting game, I don't think like a, a week off the court will really affect him that much. Yeah, and if, I'm looking at the score right now. Hold on a second. If he if they lose tonight to the Rockets, which I don't think they will. Hold on a second. What was the score last? Well, time? well, actually, you know what? They might. It's 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 ninety one eighty five Rockets with four minutes left. 
in, I think it's in Houston. It is in Houston. Um, yeah, they lose tonight. Stuff's going to play game four and what about it. He's, right. like, he's going to play every game here on now because right. they can't go down 2-2. Two, two. Um, they don't want to push that series longer than it needs to, especially when you have you – know, this is the problem. This is what everybody's going to say if they don't make it to the finals is that they push too hard to get the record, which is the next story we wanted to talk about. They push too hard to get the record, and now they open themselves up, expose themselves up to injury by pushing too hard, which is fucking bullshit. Steph Curry's like a year before his prime right now, which is you know crazy to think about. He's not he's young. He's gonna heal fast, and he's a fucking pro, and he's done it before. He's already a champ. You know what I mean? Right. So it's just all these pundits are gonna say like that they push too hard to get the record, in, and it's not that. So here, getting back to that, getting back to the, the record, and then Kobe's final game of the same. What's the what's the bigger deal here that Kobe's final, Kobe's final game, or the Warriors' best record, holding the best record ever. How about one point for each? One point. Uh, Kobe is the end of the '96 draft class, which is the craziest draft class in the history of fucking basketball. For sure, uh, that era of basketball is done. He, the Black Mamba, is the closest we got to Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player that ever played the game. He didn't necessarily change the game at all. He was, uh, you know, he's a tall shooting guard, created space. Made to the lane, could shoot for a while, could shoot threes. Um, you know, as he got older, once he got past the uh, you know the early two thousands, and he started getting those championship, uh, the finals appearances, pow, changed his game up a lot. He, uh, you see his post game evolve towards the latter half of his career. So you know, when you get in terms of like Iron Man longevity, uh, there'll never be a player quite like that who evolved with his game, and vice versa. You know, he he changed. Uh, uh, he's just one of a kind. I mean, is, is, it's it's is it a big deal that he's gone? Yeah, but you know he's been gone for a while now too. It's just he's like he's just a fucking horse that needed to be put out the pasture a long time ago. But he just wanted to keep grinding, and you got to respect that. And you know I'm a huge Celtics fan, so I'm like I guess I'm supposed to be biased towards Kobe Bryant, but I mean he's one of the most talented players. I mean there was so many fucking shots I cannot believe he hit in that Finals appearance in 2008, kept them in it. Yeah, for sure. And then 2010, yes, again, he was just unbelievable, and that that's the that's the staple of his career. And I think uh, it's a it's gonna, he's going to be missed, but I think you know we've had this little buffer of when he's kind of twenty years, dude, twenty seasons. That's a long time. I'm right. I mean, I'm right. I'm I'm glad to see, I'm glad to see him go. Um, I'm glad for everything he did. Uh, my my question about it being, you know, it, was that a bigger deal than the Warriors? And I'm sorry it happened on the same night. I'm sorry. I, I think, in my opinion, the Kobe's final game overshadowed what the Warriors did. Um, it, because, like I just said, you've been playing for 20 years, um, and it's your last game, like Jordan's last game ever. You know, you can't. It, it's it is comparable to Jordan, um, and and to break a, a huge NBA record like they did, I know it was only by a game. Um, I'm sorry that it happened on the same night. I, I I texted my cousin who lives up in Sacramento, or up in uh, Oakland rather, and he's a huge fucking Golden yeah. State Warriors fan as he should be. Mm-hmm. And I was I texted him. I said, "Hey man, I'm I'm really sorry that uh, that Kobe's last game was on the same night that your boys, you know, broke this record." And he made it sound like th- it was the opposite. He made it sound like the Warriors I, overshadowed I, Kobe. I disagree with you. I do. I, I do. I think you do. You think the it's the Warriors? Here's the thing. It's, it's a bigger deal. It's funny because it's 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 almost poetic because there'll never be a player quite like Kobe again, and that record will never be beat again. It won't. It, it won't be because. It, but it can be. They they showed that it can be. I mean, that what was that? The ninety two ninety three season that they went seventy or ninety three ninety four. Ninety five ninety six. All right. Whatever the, the Bulls did, the Bulls went seventy two and ten. Right. So you have almost twenty years in between, and then whatever whatever came closer to that, you can look it up on your own. I'm not sure what it is, but I'm telling you right now, uh, <laughs> there's not a team in this current NBA. There's more teams than there were back in the nineties, and not not you know noticeably more. 
It's just the only team that could redo this record right now in the foreseeable future is the Golden State Warriors. And what's the incentive of doing that? There isn't. The reason they did what they did was because they rattled off, you know, 23 wins in a row right at the beginning of the season. They said, hey, we can have the special, the most special season ever to ever in the NBA history. And I don't think it's ever going to be caught up again. If it is, it's going to take another 20 years. And by that point, what the fuck? The game's going to be different anyways. Right. So if you're going to ask me what's bigger, I mean, I, I just think Kobe retired two, three years ago once the Lakers fucking shit the bed and went to rock bottom and started racking up lottery picks. Right. But overshadowing that, yes, absolutely. What The thing was, it wasn't like it was a, you know, a game-winning three to clinch it, you know? And would it have been a bust if they, they didn't get it? Yeah, it would have been a bust if they didn't get it, but it wouldn't it wouldn't have affected their playoff run this year. But they did, and it was uneventful, so it's, it's hard. It's tit for tat. You let go of a legend, and you create a new, you know, is an, a brand new record. For, it's like the, it's the biggest record you can have in the league. It's like the it's the most wins. It's, mo- it's all about the wins. Well, just to just to lose a single digit amount of games um, for any any sport outside of the NFL, like uh, what's the best uh, MLB? I'm gonna look, I'm gonna Google the best MLB record because they got 162 games to deal with. Some of the, I, bet, I bet it'll be either you know back in the 30s and 40s or it'll be the 90s Yankees. List of best major league baseball season. Oh fuck! It's my fucking the, nemesis. The most recently was the Seattle Mariners. It was my nemesis. Nineteen oh, look, nineteen oh six, the Cubs. Well, the most recent, as in like you know our lifetimes game, like the two thousand one Seattle Mariners. No, but the NBA. Oh, okay, fine. I mean, we can look. Okay, the Mariners two thousand one, but the highest of all time is the nineteen oh six Chicago Cubs. Yeah, I guess that doesn't really count. That's a hundred years ago, literally. <laughs> Dude, it's one hundred ten years ago. It's one hundred fucking ten years ago. If you want to talk about modern league, you can go. You can go. As lo- the, the all right, let's say from the fifties, from since the fifties. Yeah. 1954 Indians, uh, 111 and 43. I'm sorry, I didn't say the Chicago Cubs in 1906. They went 116 and 36 in 19. Oh, that's two years after the World's Fair, by the way. Yeah, before World War One. Before, before <laughs> the, yeah, all the World Wars. All, 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 all the hits, all the hits. Uh, and then the Mariners in 01 with five games better or five games worse, rather. Uh, and then everything else, yeah, eight, 1886, the Detroit Wolverines. I didn't even know the baseball existed in the 1800s. It's not the way we. Anyway, it's uh, it's hard to do, man. It's so uh, yeah. So I don't, I don't. It's hard to do, and you're it, right. You're right. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Uh, you know, it, it will take a lot for another team to do what the Warriors did this season, but, but it's not impossible to get eight losses. It's true, and it's, and there's never going to be another Kobe Bryant. Okay, go well, Celtics. <laughs> Let's move on to the uh, the NFL draft coming up. I know you're gonna have a t- shitload of thoughts about this. Um, <laughs> we well, got mostly New England based, but yeah, I got some thoughts. Glenn Gronkowski is going to be entering the league, possibly, uh, most yeah. likely, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, what is he? One of four or five brothers? Gronk? Five. He's the youngest of five. Youngest of five brothers, and they're all huge too. They had like some sort of uh, you know Boston PBS bullshit reality show too, where they kind of just checked in with the Gronks. No, they didn't. They had a they had a reality show. The Gronkowski. I don't think it was a reality I'm show. I think that. I think I think a show. It was more so of a special. Um, probably a couple of like a uh, in depth news stories. Um, but there was a Gronkowski on the Patriots too. That was outside of Rob. I think it was Dan Gronkowski. Gronk, the TV star. I'm pretty sure he played on special teams. Rob Gronkowski to host new Nickelodeon kids show. Oh, this is March. This is last month. Gronkowski's the fucking greatest personality in the NFL right now. Yeah, no, there was an article talking about um, him bouncing around his fucking boat, that party that he had on that boat. Yeah, he uh, he does he does uh, he does uh, a lot of recreationals during the off season, as it were. Uh, uh, as far as I'm concerned, he can do whatever the fuck he wants. And and you know, last couple of years, um, the Pats have been you know a little bit soft with him going into the in, in, into the season. I mean. Uh, 
you know, I guess about facts. 2014, they went two and two to start, and then they went four and zero this year. I mean, when when Gronk's on the field, it's a it's a whole different team. And now you, you want to talk about Glenn Gronkowski, but I don't know much about Glenn. Honestly, I don't. I know he's the youngest, and he's always got freak fucking genes, and he's probably ginormous. And he what position is he? I'll Google that in a second. Hold on, I gotta before I know that this is bullshit, but I gotta talk about this. What Gronkowski's gonna be a host on a new Nickelodeon kids show? Why not? <clears throat> the Nickelodeon Network plans to introduce. Why not? I could list a bunch of reasons why not. What it plans to introduce a new TV series featuring Rob Gronkowski? Uh, blah 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 blah. Called Crash Crash Leets Crash Leets, which will feature popular clips of sports action. Oh, okay, so they're bringing sports to Nickelodeon. That's bullshit. They shouldn't do that. Well, come on now. I mean, keep it Rugrats. <laughs> come on. Straight up Nick. Have you seen some of the Nicktoons lately, dude? No. Yeah, they're fucked up, man. They're like mind fucking me. You SpongeBob, man. SpongeBob. Yeah, it's just, SpongeBob it's just, is a bunch of people on acid. It's, it's just like yeah, that's what Scooby Doo was, though. Yeah, it's like what Ren and Stimpy was back in the day. You yeah, know? that too. That, I love Ren and Stimpy. I I think that stimulates, uh, you know, um, what's that word I'm looking for? Creativity. Uh, deviantness. You know, it's just that, it's that, that counterintuitive, counter, like shit that they wouldn't normally be exposed to. Stuff they can get away watching without their parents being like, what the fuck are you watching? No, bullshit. My parents wouldn't let me watch Ren and Stimpy. They're like, this show is disgusting. It is fucking disgusting. Dude, in the second episode, Ren says to Stimpy, I am the batter, or what does he say? I am the pitcher. You are the catcher. Talk because his tongue was like licking his ass. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that? So he like, he woke up, like Ren was, uh, <laughs> Ren was snoring. And his tongue kept tickling Ren's ass. And so they both wake up. Or no, he was like in the back of his throat. It was his throat ball. It was something gross. And Ren wakes up and screams at Stimpy and is like, I am the pitcher. You are the catcher. Saying like, I'm not the gay one. You are. Yeah, well, they, I think they were pretty much both gay. I think that was uh, that was well-renowned. I don't uh, think you don't think you let... Hey, I don't yeah. know, man. I don't, think Ren, I don't think Ren would take it. <laughs> he wouldn't let it. He wouldn't let it. You want to let somebody give it to him. I don't think that's what the Gronkowski show is going to be about, though, pitching or catching. Well, no, that was a different age of Nickelodeon. But um, they're bringing sports to it. Okay, you know, I don't know. Maybe it'll work. But this this to me seems like, and I talked about this last time, but the, just the decline of MTV, this seems like, um, you know, they're going to get off track a little bit. One more thing. All right. Nickelodeon is also announcing a show called All In, which will be hosted by Cam Newton. Fuck Cam Newton. Do the dab, man. Do the dab. Fuck Cam Newton. Why? Because... I don't know, man. Listen, uh, no, I, I only say that. I was rooting for. I was rooting for him. I only, I, yeah, I was too actually, because I had a shit ton of money on it. <laughs> but no, it was. Uh, uh, Cam. I mean, uh, I don't know. Again, I'm a Patriots fan. I ha- I, I measure other, every other franchise up to the Patriots for all time. I will uh, with it, which is you know a strong basis of professionalism on and off the field. Uh, you know, outside of the cheating allegations, which you know, you you take it and leave it, whatever way you want to put it, doesn't matter. Four times Super Bowl champs. I'm I'm just ignoring all that cheating shit. Like for real, for real. Knows, but but I mean, I just you know, like dab it on the field. Uh, you know, just that, that a thousand watt smile. It's entertaining. I know it's entertaining, but it's fucking. It's it's. I don't know. I just I always take professionalism over entertaining when it comes to professional sports, just because, uh, you know, I just respect that a little bit more. You know. I like a showman every once in a while. I like when fucking uh, when Miggy tosses the bat. Oh, no, it was Batista throws the bat. You know what I mean? Yeah. I like when Gronk spikes the ball through fucking all the way to China. I love yeah, that joke. Yeah, I don't hear you complaining about that. That's what I'm saying, dude. It's just uh, it's just the way he composes himself. With the, it's just, he just he's a big kid. You know what I mean? And, and, and well, oh, I, for sure. He's got tons to learn. But at the same time, he's good. He is, I respect his talent. He's good. Well, yeah, he's good. He's good because... You know, he's a he's a freak. He's what is he? Uh, he he's almost the size he's of Gronkowski. He's like six seven or playing, something. Yeah, yeah. I'll, yes. go, I'll Google it. Yeah, whatever it is, he, I, I'll never. I never doubt him 
from an athletic standpoint. I just think, uh, I mean, he gets the criticism, right? Like, everybody talks about he's it. Six it's five. Like, he's 6'5". He's 6'5". Yeah, 6'5", like 265, though. I mean, that's bigger than most linebackers. Yeah. So Brock, if you're, if you're bigger, Brock is 6'6". Six, six, for Christ's sake, if you're bigger six, than five. the guys that are trying to tackle you, you're going to be good at that. Whatever, if you're an pounds. offensive player, you just are. Yeah. Um, he's a, he's probably the best, probably the most athletic and talented quarterback in the league outside of Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. Um, wow. I guess you wouldn't use athletic to describe Tom Brady. I think you would say that. Uh, from a you know, just be a quarterbacking mindset, I think the potential, the arrow is pointing up on Cam Newton and Will. I think that losing the Super Bowl will not only be humbling to Cam, I think it will be you know fuel for the next three, four years. I think that not only Cam Newton, but the Carolina Panthers fans and the team itself is going to realize how hard it is to get back to that spotlight, something that you know only a few teams managed to do over a short and short period of time. I think, I think, uh, and in order to do that, you're going to see a little bit of a you know a paradigm shift for Cam Newton and the way he operates on and off the field um, to get him. It's only going to take a few seasons of not making that NFC Championship, not making that Super Bowl before he realizes, holy shit, like the window is closing for me as you know the, the way I play football to get those championships. He doesn't want to win one; he wants to win five. Honestly, I think I think losing the Super Bowl was the best thing that could have happened right, to Cam I agree, Newton 100%. because this is going to be the best off season for him of his entire career, and it's going to traject. A, a super like a way more successful next ten years. No one plays better when they have something to prove. When yeah, they when they exactly. when they when they've been doubted and when they when they're scrutinized. I I want I'm looking very much forward to uh this football season. But uh the draft itself, um to speak touch on it lately, is that uh you know it's not it's not a superstar draft, it's not top heavy, it's more so the second and third rounds that's where you're gonna get your quality. Um a lot of big, lean linebackers. Uh, I think you're going to see a lot of uh, offensive linemen picked up for the teams that are kind of towards the top of the league. Um, uh, other than that, you know, personally for me, I'm very happy with the uh, the position the Patriots are in, given the fact that they had to forfeit their first-round draft pick. They ended up trading uh, Chandler Jones to the Arizona Cardinals for one of their offensive linemen as well as their second-round draft pick. So in a, in a draft where you necessarily wouldn't benefit from a first round pick, which you can you, know, you can argue both ways, Patriots earned the 60th and the 61st pick in the draft. So fuck you, Roger Goodell. Take all the picks you want. We're still going to get quality in the second round, and we're going to put it to work. And the team's probably better off. And we had more cap space than we did last year. Um, you know, aside aside from everybody else, I think the draft's pretty deep. I think you can't really go wrong. Um, uh, it'd be interesting. I know. I know the Rams, the LA Rams, uh, just traded up to the first round, uh, first pick, and the Philadelphia just went to the second pick as well. It'd be interesting which quarterback goes where and what the mindsets are for those for those coaches and how they how they see their offensive game plan going forward, given the fact they have such early picks in the draft. All right, very well said. Let's move on to Glenn Gronkowski. Let's see what he's got going on here. Do you know what position he is? This says fullback for Kansas State. Is that what he does? Yeah, he's probably going to be. Uh, I mean, fullbacks. A uh, it's it's not really a f- the fullback position as it was, you know, back when we first started watching football. Hold on, explain to people what fullback. Explain to me what fullback is. Cause <laughs> I've n- I've never played football on a team. I watch football. I know what I know what a lot of positions do. I know um, you've got you've got different tackle. Is it defensive? Well, in college, there's a lot more split backs, eye formation, pistol back, uh, kind of offensive alignments where you put a man, a big man, in front of your running back to clear space to hit that lead blocker from the back. Because most most uh, collegiate teams, um, and I could be wrong here. I don't want to speak out of my ass, but they uh, it just it's just a lot more athletic, a more athletic front. 
So you always want to put somebody out front that can kind of like, uh, you know, push the pile in a certain direction. You know, the running back ultimately is going to decide what he's going to do with the ball. But if you put someone like Glenn Gronkowski, who is enormous, in front of him, and probably a, like a dirt dog who loves that. So he's a blocker. He's a blocker, basically, an offensive blocker where he'll, he'll kind of dictate which way the, the, the pile is moving. So if it's, a, if it's an inside play or it's an outside play, depending on where you want to do it, if you need to get three or four yards, if you're trying to set up a play for second down or third down, third and short, whatever the play bo- uh, playbook dictates, you use him to kind of push the pile a certain way so that the running back can get three or four yards. Or, you know, you can send him one way and send the running back another way as a misdirection. Or you can hand it off directly to fullback. And uh, um, Devlin, for the Patriots, a perfect example of what a fullback can be when used correctly. That's like the one of the true fullbacks in the NFL where he's used as primarily a run blocker and uh, use inside snaps to him to get short yardage. And, you know, they use sparingly. They're not, they're not in every down offensively. They're in, you know, in situational plays. Okay. So, you know, a fullback is a dangerous position, but it's also something you give up offensively. You lose a receiver or a tight end to have the fullback on the field. In these years where it's more spread offense and more plays from shotgun, you don't see fullbacks on the field too much. It doesn't necessarily mean that he's, you know, an unequitable, unequitable uh, you know, uh, potentially asset. huge asset. It just means that it's, uh, some playbooks have diminished that role over time. So all that being said, obviously he's not going to be as big of a player as Robert Gronkowski, no, but he, as yeah. his brother. As is there a position that could he could laterally move to that is similar to fullback, where he could really make a difference, or is it is it possible that we've just never seen a star fullback and that he might revolutionize the position? Well, we have seen star fullbacks. I don't know them off the top of my head. I'll but Google it. Early '80s, early '90s, you'll see uh, some pretty quality fullbacks. Um, you know, it depends. I don't know much. Like I said, I don't know much about Glenn, but it depends on what positions he's played uh, throughout his young career. I mean, uh, you know, you've seen players like, um, you know, Julian Edelman, who was the quarterback at Kent State, revolutionize, not revolutionize, almost evolutionize the slot receiver role for New England. He was a quarterback, but he was squirrely. And obviously he filled the role that Wes Walker left when he left the team. And, you know, all these players now that are, are filling in, uh, you know, all these short white dudes you see in slot receiver, um, you know, all fall the the march of uh, Wes Walker, those quick receivers, the getting the ball out of the quarterback's hand into a receiver's hand very quickly um, is something that comes from, you know, players who just have speed and great hands. So you take an example like Gettleman, who was a quarterback, who ended up transitioning to a receiver. You don't know what you get until you put him in that situation, basically. He's, if he's going to be a professional, a rookie professional, He's going to go through training camps. He's going to go through workouts. He's going to see how he matches up against, you know, the AFC. Say if he went to the AFC East, how he matches up against them. Where are you going to put him? Like, you're going to play the Jets, the Bills. You're going to play the Dolphins each year, Patriots. You're like, how, how, are you, how are you going to like, – how is he going to fit in um, in a role that's good for him? Is he worth uh, a 53, putting on a 53-man roster? Probably not. Probably not. Not in his rookie year. He'll probably be on a practice squad if he's good enough. Or he'll be on a – you know, he might be a, you know, a third-string back. But uh, it it just depends on the system. Well, this says that fullbacks can score, so it says yeah, the, it can score. you can hand best, off to a fullback. Yeah, the you the can highest pass to a fullback. The highest ranked fullback in NFL history is Jim Brown, who I've never fucking heard of. It was a different position when Jim Brown played to when you know then this year's NFL oh, then this era's years. NFL. Well, here let me read these stats. It says he completed a nine-year career with twelve thousand three hundred twelve rushing yards and one hundred and six touchdowns. That's a good season. That's you, yeah, but he he. How many touchdowns is that per uh, per year? But listen, dude, it's a different era of football. It's 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 
where it's seventy percent passing, thirty percent running now with teams that have decent quarterbacks. That's twelve touchdowns. It was it was, the, it was completely was opposite. The pie was switched twenty thirty years ago when Jim Brown played. Like he got more touches. That's why he had a nine year career because he got the ball every fucking time. He could only played for nine years. Nine years is an epic career for a running back these days. Never mind Jim Brown's era, but he was built like a fucking. But shed. look at this. This says, and I don't, this can't be true. But I mean, this is a cheat sheet dot com. I don't I don't know what that is. But Brown is he averaged five point two yards per carry, is significant, and it says it's significantly higher than the top two all time rushing leaders, Emmett Smith and right. Walter Payton, yeah. at four apiece. That's true. That's true. That's how is that possible? It's not necessarily Jim Brown. I mean, Jim Brown's an amazing talent. De- de- definitely, again, it's game plan, it's coaching, it's the offensive line, it's everything that makes a great football team run. Uh, Emmett Smith had it too. Walter Payton and Walt. I mean, Emmett and Walter. You know, they're you know obviously cut above from your typical running back, Jim Brown as well. Um, but like I said, it's it's in accordance with the team and the talent you have right in front of you. You know what I mean? Like it's not just Jim. It was it was it was the team they had and the mentality they had those particular years that gave them the that get five point two yards per carry doesn't come from it, number one. It comes from the backs' talent. Number two, it comes from the guys pushed them forward. Five and a half yeah, yards for sure. You give him, you give him the ball. You're halfway to a first down every time. By that by that rule, you should get the ball every fucking time. But then that's why you had 106 touchdowns in a nine year career. Do that math, especially when a season was 13 games. Yeah, it's 12 touchdowns a season. 13 games. That's a season. fucking good. No, it's it's the best. Okay, all right. Anyways, Jim Brown, way to go, bud. All right, so um, so moving on from the the big sports, let's talk about uh, the UFC. The UFC. Good. I'm familiar with. Um, because being in production, I've I've had the honor of working on the Ultimate Fighter season twenty two, which had um, the coaches were Conor McGregor, which is he's the biggest fucking star in the UFC right now, um, and he was going against Uriah Faber, which was fucking hilarious. Um, and I got to know Conor, and I've done before that I did a, a documentary on Anthony Pettis. He's a lightweight fighter for the UFC. That was awesome. I don't know anything about I did I didn't know anything about fighting until I worked on these two things. Um, I kind of follow it, not really. Uh, the big news right now this week is that Conor McGregor was going to have a, a rematch against Nate Diaz, in which he lost him what the third round like got a few months ago. Yeah, he got knocked out, um, which nobody had ever seen because the guy is undefeated. He's a fucking monster. He doesn't get hit. He knows how to not get hit. He's got a really strong left. His ground game is is shit, but he knows how to he knows how to defend takedowns and he knows how to defend. And he's a triple A shit talker. And and he's entertaining. Um, so I love the guy, and he he didn't pull out, but he the the UFC, uh, the commission or whatever you would call it's not a league, I don't know what you would call it, pulled him from Dana, yeah Dana essentially pulled him from UFC 200 that was supposed to happen in June or July, uh, and it was a rematch against Diaz, and the reason that he was pulled is because he was not showing up for his promotional events, and I entirely agree with him. I know that you, I agree not with Connor. That. I agree with Connor. Those guys. Have such intense training, Tim, and you don't know until you watch hours and hours of footage of it. It is a lifestyle. It is a mentality. It these guys are monsters, and when you start bombarding them, oh, you got to go do press here. You got to go to point. this news station. You got to go to that news station. It throws off their whole routine. It throws off their diet. It throws off what time they wake up. It throws off their sleep. It throws off their training because they train twice a day, and you're not just training. You're not just throwing punches, but you know you got to do cardio. You got to do jujitsu. You've got to you've got to hit all these categories to be a successful competitive UFC fighter, yeah. and that's what Connor was. He was the best until he lost to Nate. And now, you know, I, I read a quote from earl from him earlier, and he said, you know, listen, 
I did. I wasn't able to. I didn't train properly for my last fight against Nate, and he's a big fucking dude with long fucking arms. And I've got to. I've got to train properly for this next one. Why? Uh, why? Why is he the exception, though, Gabe? Because it's obviously he's not the exception. They're. They're. What do you mean the exception? Well, I'm saying it's the nature of the beast. Yeah, I mean these guys make what ten million dollars a fight. Well, Connor does. Connor does. Yeah, stud, right? And obviously, Dana White's. He's the kingmaker. He decide. He's like he. He's he, all he does. And all he's been doing is pumping out superstars for this sport. Obviously, UFC is the fastest rising sport in the history of sports. Right. For good reason, too. It's, it's entertaining. The lead up to it's just it took everything that was boring about boxing and made it into this hybrid sport that's fucking amazingly entertaining in a, in, in a money pit. But what makes Connor so much different than any other superstar that has been made f- through the sport? What makes him different? Why, why does he get the exemption? Why does he get the blame? His losses on promotion, on on the act of promotion, which every star has had to do. Now, now, I don't know too much about the sport to say that it's always been the same level of promotion that you need to do prior to a fight. And I also don't know whether or not if you're a superstar versus an average UFC fighter, do you have to promote the same amount of time? This I don't know. Probably you probably have to do more. Probably have to do more. But They're, like they don't want to promote the undercards. I mean, they might a little bit, but you're not. If if you're the if you're the the main event, you're going to be doing more. You're going to be doing more. Shit. Absolutely. And I heard Dana White on Colin Cowherd earlier this week, and he was talking about you know how he tried to reach out to Connor, and and it wasn't anything about money at all. It was just about like you said, it cuts into the way he trains, which is what he blamed his loss on. Right, so if I was Dana White, this is what I would do. I say, Connor, do whatever the fuck you want. Don't go to one promotional, you know, whatever whatever bit you want to you don't want to do. Don't right. do it, and right. then come up, show up, and fight. And if he loses that fight, he's got no fucking excuse. And if he wants to stay in the UFC, then he's got he's got to play by the rules. But yeah, this but is a if he does business that, game. yeah, I know, I understand that, but that's not fair to the other fighters that then have do have to do their promotions while Connor's getting to sit out. Absolutely right. So what do you do? So here's what you do: you stop, you demand less press out of these guys. Why do you need any more than a few press conferences in the weigh-in? I don't. I don't know why you need to go news. Like these guys, literally go to local news stations. I, that's what Anthony Pettis did on his on his first title fight. They go to local news stations and do an interview. Nobody. Listen, UFC fans, you're not going to pull more people in by going on the local news. People that are watching the local news are are old farts sitting at home. If you want to watch an interview, you're going to go online and you're if you're a UFC fan and you want to watch an interview, you're going to Twitter. You're going to YouTube. You're going online. You're going to UFC.com. There's there's tons of fucking shit to follow the UFC online. You're not going to your local news. You're not. I mean, ESPN. Sure, do like one interview for like per fight. I get that. I get that. Go to go to Sports Nation or go to yeah, yeah. go to Sports Center. But the rest of these things that these guys are doing, like it's it's too much. I get it. It's don't it it fucks with them too much. Like you would never you would never have the star of the MLB do a bunch of press for the World Series. You wouldn't. Yeah, but that but listen, it's it's not yeah, exactly right, but it's not the fastest growing sport in the world for one particular reason. It's it's all these amassed reasons. And and at the top of that is how well they promote these fights. And that and that and that's where the majority of the money is. It's just typical negotiate the, the primo negotiation is when you make the fucking pie that split up between people bigger instead of splitting it up. You make the pie bigger. The only way you can fucking do that is through this like this is almost this 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 like jail-like mentality where they have to have these fighters go every way they possibly can, exposing it to different demographics and just bring them in for this one particular night. And I think, you know, uh, Connor's no exception. I think he's just going to play by the fucking rules, Gabe. I mean, well, dude, he is. I mean, they're making an example out of him, so he didn't get his way. Which well, he tossed the deuces up on Twitter like he, like uh, what's-his-nut did? He the, said he Marshawn was re- what, the retiring? 
I'm he was going to retire because this is like that's such a fucking power move. Like you could tell he was just like, you know what I'm going to do? Fuck Dana White. Fuck UFC. Because he knows he's a huge money draw. Which you're right. It's a dick move. It's a dick move. It's not going to get him what he wants either. It's not going to get him what he wants. He's going to have to fucking promote this fight if he wants it. Dana's made twenty Conor McGregor's in the time that UFC has been as big as it has. Look, the out-of-pocket expenses for the industry leader were $10 million. That's how much they spent on promoting this fight. Here, let me just back up and make sure that's true. <laughs> McGregor's press duties began... All right, here we go. On Wednesday, White said McGregor's removal wasn't about money or ego, but refusal to participate in media obligations for the event. According to Dana, McGregor's press duties began this weekend as the UFC planned a press tour in Las Vegas and traveled to Stockton and New York City. A promotional video is also scheduled for three days of filming. Three fucking days of filming. Three days of filming. I've done three days of filming. Dude, they have they have day. so much footage of Conor McGregor. I could Listen. with the, with the with the the stuff that we brought in from Conor for season uh, twenty two of Tough that he we didn't even need him for. We you could do one interview with Conor and use all of his fucking clip footage and make a great promo package. It's funny because ten million dollars. You know, I mean, obviously this this fight sells itself to the fans and everybody who watched it last time, right? So this ten million dollars. It's also it's primarily designated to outreach of drawing people into this fucking rivalry between Diaz and McGregor, right? So how much promotion is actually needed for a sequel fight? You know what I mean? It's not like it's fucking Balboa Creed too. You know what I mean? Like it's so now you're jumping to my side, right? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think, yeah, exactly. I'm not jumping to anybody's side. I think it's the fucking business. If you sign that contract, if you belong to the UFC, you do, you you jump when Dana says jump. If but, you want, you fucking do. But the UFC's got a, it's got to let up, dude. You can't, you can't fuck with these guys training and and it it fuck their whole their whole center of gravity you have a you have a much better understanding of what these athletes do to get themselves in the right mind for I'm also, which is essentially blood sport i'm also doing the durden diet right now which is like i'm, I'm working out a ton and i know you can't tell but i'm, I'm dieting and i'm not i'm not giving my you know, i just started working out too my my yeah, chicken breast and broccoli man every day that's are you serious that's what yeah, i'm doing too poops is solid i uh my po- i'm pooping diamonds dude yeah i know they're like they slide right out there's nothing left over i know I'm like, sa- saving money on TP right now. Just dude, walking out. Um, one square. And stud. That, one square. And that's My butt's it. actually cleaner Mic after drop. I poop. Um, and we can get that to in a second. But look, I've got this Brad Pitt's fi- look. Brad Pitt's Fight Club nutrition plan. This is what he ate, and this is how he worked out for that movie. Yeah, but he was in good shape when he started this diet. By the way, too, you don't want to pop in six fucking egg whites. And well, look at me, dude. I weigh 180 pounds. I'm not fucking. You know, I, yeah. I didn't start with. Anyway, getting back to Connor. Sorry. Uh, it's so I, anyway, my point being is that like dieting, I know it's, it's, uh, it's a routine and anytime you fuck up that routine, it, 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 it makes it much harder. So is it, does it make it impossible? No, I get it. Everybody has to do it. But, um, I don't know. Maybe there's, maybe there's even a fairness thing in there because is Nate Diaz having to do the same thing? I don't know. I don't think Nate Diaz is fucking complaining. I've never seen Nate Diaz do any kind of promotional thing. I don't. I mean, I don't know much about him. I don't either, follow it myself. I think. I think it'll work itself out. I'm actually interested to see how the story develops and see how much actual promotion Connor does. Right. I know you know this fight's going to happen. It's gonna be the biggest fight in UFC no, history, dude. I don't think it is going to happen. You don't think it's going to happen? I think it will. I think. I think it will find a way. I think. I think like you'll say. I think. I think Dana will yield. Actually, if I don't know, dude. I think. I don't think Dana is is that spineless. I think that he's going to stand his ground. I think he'll stand his ground. But I think, like you said, like you you think that UFC needs to kind of you know step off the fucking gas when it comes to how much promotion he's in these mm-hmm. fights. But then again, like I said, you know, become the fastest growing sport in history by not promoting uh, rapid pace. You know what I mean? It's just about like. Oh, it's it's as an owner of the company, as the CEO of UFC, he's just gonna have to take a step back and look at all right. Well, what what am I gonna lose by losing this fight? 
what kind of rivalry I'm going to give. Because he's got four more fights out of these guys if he wants them. I right. mean, you can't you can't walk away at 27 if you're Conor McGregor. You can't do it. You no, know, there's no way he would. No, yeah, no if way he, he beats Nate Diaz, you have arguably the greatest fight of all time because, coming up in round three. You know what I mean? Because Connor knows that he's got much more money to make. Listen, Connor loves fucking money. He's all about the money. He's he's all he's very competitive. He's about being the best, but he loves the money. It's true. All it's season twenty two, all he talked about is how he was renegotiating. He loves he already, the cheese. He already had the best contract. Thanks for the in cheese. The That's what his tweet said. Thanks for the cheese. And he re- he was yeah. bragging about renegotiating for an even better one. Right, right. But yeah, and it, like I said, he, the money he's going to make is be compounded by the next fight if. He wins it. Yeah. it won't, I mean, that's the thing. If you're Dana White, you got to think, not this fight, not the next fight. You got to think about the three fights afterwards that involve the challenges that are coming up that aren't even fucking big names yet. And you can't have that without three. You can't have that without three fights. You can't. Right. So it'll be interesting to see how Dana handles it. It'll be interesting to see how UFC handles it. And then it'll be interesting to see how much promotion Connor actually does. Right. And one final point. This then this is what Connor says. Um, well, this is this is a fact. And then what Connor said about it. The out-of-pocket expenses were ten million dollars, and he and Connor's saying, "Well, that's ten million dollars that the the fucking whole organization is saving." What do you do? Like, why do you promote something for ten with ten million dollars? Do you think the UFC could afford to step back, especially with a star like Connor, and just not promote it? If people know it's happening, then they're gonna watch. I don't know. I mean, from a business standpoint, it's just a precedent that you don't want to set. I mean, like I eventually you're going to hit a period of time within the UFC. There's been there's been ebbs and flows that trended down negatively that have happened that you need that kind of money pushed into promotion. It's like, do, do you want to keep it consistent at a level of $10 million for bigger fights? I think you do. I don't think you want to fluctuate from that. I don't think you want to set a precedent like that just from a purely business st- standpoint. So yeah, just because, you know, it just, it, it, it dictates, it's, it's dependent entirely on the, the uh, the fight itself and the, and the personality is going into it, but I think you uh, consistency is key when you're keeping a budget. You know that's eight figures. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, I think we covered some good ground here, man. We definitely were over our time, but that's no problem. Yeah, yeah, that was fun, man. Yeah, you liked you like thanks thanks for being here. Yeah, it was a pleasure. I'd love to be back. That'd be great. Yeah, we'll uh, at the end maybe at the um, you know when baseball starts getting serious after the All Star season, we'll uh, we'll do another sports episode. Bingo. Uh, all right, everybody. Thanks a lot for listening. This has been JFGI, the podcast. Uh, Timbo Slice, Shooter <laughs> Lambert with us. Yeah, take it easy, guys. We'll see you next time. Go Pats.